Well, hey, welcome to First Church. I hope everybody's having a great new year so far. And in case you don't know, we are one church that meets in multiple locations. So before we go any further, I would like to welcome in those who are watching at Stone Canyon and Vertigris, as well as those online. So if you would here at North Garnett, put your hands together. Welcome them to our conversation this morning. I want to start off by asking a question, so if you would, at all of our campuses, put your hand high in the air if you spent way too much money this past December. Let me see your hands. Anybody spend way too much money? I said raise your hands, not point at the person sitting next to you. Uh, I'm with you. I spent way too much money this past December, and it seems like in our culture, shopping just goes right along with Christmas. I'm not sure why that has happened, but it's just the way it is. And I'm somebody, you need to know this I don't like to shop. I hate to shop. When I go to a store, I know what I'm looking for. I go in, I get it, I buy it, I'm out of there. My wife, however, Allison, she is the exact opposite. She's what I call a browser or maybe a grazer when it comes to shopping. She goes into a store and she's got to like touch everything before she can leave. There are times she doesn't even buy anything. She just has to like look at everything in the store. She enjoys shopping. And we are just total opposites when it comes to this. There are times that we've gone together shopping, like we're Christmas shopping, and so we'll go to a mall and we'll divide up, and she'll say, I'll hit this store and this store and this store, and you hit this store and this store and that store. So we divide up, and I'm through like six stores, and she's still in her first store. You know, that's just how long it takes her. And every now and then, we'll get stuck together in the same store. And I say stuck in the most loving way that I possibly can. We get stuck together in the same store. I've got nowhere else to go. I'm just there with her. And it just seems like she takes forever. I'm just like, come on, get what you want and let's go. I'm looking, I'm looking. And so I just wait and I wait and I wait. And I was telling a friend of mine the other day about how different Alice and I are when it comes to shopping. And he said, you know, Chad, there's an Instagram account dedicated to guys like you. I was like, what? Really? He's like, yeah, there's an Instagram account dedicated to guys like you. It's called Miserable Men. And I thought, well, thanks. I appreciate that a lot. But sure enough, this is a real account. You can go and look it up. And what this account is all about is it posts pictures of guys who are stuck shopping with their wives or girlfriends. And I watched, I looked at some of these pictures, and I just loved them, and I wanted to share some of them with you. Here's one picture I saw on this account. Take a look. This guy looks like, if we can put up on the screen, there we go. This guy looks like he's being punished, you know? He looks like he's been putting time out or something, like he forgot his anniversary, forgot his wife's birthday, a miserable man. This next picture I like even more. This guy, I mean, he is checked out. Head cocked back, mouth wide open, he doesn't care. He's not even trying to hide his lack of enthusiasm for shopping anymore. He's checked out. But this last guy is my absolute favorite. Take a look. I mean, he just made himself right at home, climbed right in bed, took a nap, and I get it, I understand, you're going to be there for a long time, might as well make yourself at home, take a nap, why not? Miserable men. I'm at a little bit of a disadvantage here this morning, because I don't know why you're here. I don't know if you're here because you want to be here, or because someone else wants you to be here. I don't know if you're excited to be here this morning, or if you're just here. I don't know if you're here today because it's your New Year's resolution, I need to be in church. I don't know if you're here today because it's just tradition or habit. I don't know if you feel like you're here out of obligation. I don't know why you're here. But whatever the reason, I want you to know something. I am really glad that you are here. Because I'm convinced that God has incredible things in store for you in this next year if you will let him work in your life. 
I believe God has incredible things in store in the life of our church during this next year if we will pursue Him like we've never pursued Him before. I believe that 2018 could be your, mine, our best year yet. Now, when I say that, don't reach for your wallets. This isn't preacher talk. You know, this isn't church talk or anything like that. I mean it. And when I say this could be your best year yet, I'm not talking about your best year financially or your best year physically, your best year socially, at least in the eyes of our culture. That's not what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about, this could be your best year yet when it comes to living with direction, meaning, and purpose. I believe that if you allow God to work in your life this year like He wants to, you could have meaning and purpose in your life like you have never had before. You could understand His purpose, His plan for your life in a way like you never have before. You could have life come alive within you in a way like you never have before. But in order for that to happen... There's a key truth, a spiritual truth you have to wrap your mind around, you have to understand, you have to grasp. And I'm going to be honest with you, it took me a long time to come to grips with this truth. I grew up in church, but it took me a long time to get this. But here's the truth I think we need to understand as we begin this new year. Satisfied people don't chase after satisfaction. They chase after God, and satisfaction finds them. If you want to live a life that is satisfying, a life that's content, a life where you have true peace, you've got to pursue God. Because satisfied people, they don't chase after satisfaction, they chase after God. And satisfaction finds them. Because I'm convinced that deep within the soul of every human being is a longing for the presence of God. And it doesn't matter how much money you have, it doesn't matter how much stuff you have, it doesn't matter what job you land, what car you drive, what clothes you wear. Unless you have an active and restored relationship with our Heavenly Father, you will always feel like that something isn't right. You will always feel like something is missing. You will always feel like there's got to be more. Solomon, the wisest man who ever lived, who, by the way, had more money, possession, stuff, power, influence than anybody else in his day, and some people would argue than anyone else who has ever lived. Solomon, the wisest man who ever lived, made this observation about life in Ecclesiastes 1.14. He's an old man at this point, reflecting on his entire life and how he's seen other people live, and look at what he says. I observed everything going on under the sun. In other words, I've seen how people live on the earth. I've observed observed everything going on under the sun, and really, it's all meaningless. Like chasing the wind. What Solomon here is saying is most of what people live for, most of what people strive for, most of what people work so hard for, most of what people spend their energy on, in the end, it's meaningless. Like chasing after the wind, like chasing shadows. It's interesting, the word meaningless that Solomon uses there is the Hebrew word habel. And that word habel literally means futility, emptiness, vanity. A vapor that's there for a little while and then vanishes. And let me ask, does your life kind of feel like that? 
Do you feel like that you're working hard, that you're doing all this stuff, that you're always busy, but, you're, but you wonder if it's really getting you anywhere? You wonder if this is really what life is all about? As you reflect back on 2017, can you say, well, hey, yeah, I accomplished a lot, I did a lot, but I still feel like something's not right. I still feel like something's missing. Well, if that's you, I've got some good news for you today because we've all felt that way before, every single one of us. And I've got even more good news. God doesn't want you to continue to live like that. See, God didn't create you to live a life without meaning. And He sure doesn't want you wasting the life He's given you. He has created you to live a life with purpose, meaning, and a sense of eternal value and self-worth. But here's the thing. In order for you to have all that, you've got to do life with Him. Because life apart from Him will always leave you feeling empty. Only when you know who God is will you finally realize why you were created. Only when you know Him like you should know Him will you discover who you were created to be. And it doesn't matter if this is your first time attending church or if you've been in church for years. Maybe what you need this morning more than anything else, maybe what I need this morning, maybe what we need collectively as a church this morning is to make the decision to pursue God like we never have before. My son Alex, I like to talk about him a lot. He's four years old. He's my buddy. And he loves to watch movies. And one of his favorite movies is the cartoon movie Sing. And it's about these animated animals who are in the singing competition. I know it sounds like a great storyline, doesn't it? But these animated animals who are in the singing competition, kind of like American Idol or The Voice, and they're all trying to win this competition. And it's a pretty good movie. I like it. We've watched it as a family dozens and dozens of times because Alex likes it so much. But one of the characters in the movie Sing, sing is this gorilla named Johnny. And Johnny is a great singer, but he kind of has confidence issues and family issues. And at the very end of the movie, Johnny kind of finally comes out of his shell. He kind of breaks loose and has this stellar performance. And so we were watching this one evening, and as Johnny just broke out and had this great performance, my wife Allison said, ah, that's it, Johnny. Get it, Johnny. Well, Alex heard her say, get it, Johnny. And apparently that stuck with him. And now, Every single time we watch the movie sing, when that final scene comes on with Johnny singing, Alex will just start to say out loud, Get it, Johnny! Get it, Johnny! Get it, Johnny! Over and over again. And so one day he was doing this, and Allison pulled out her phone and filmed him doing it. And I want to share it with you. Take a look at my son in this clip. I love that. Get it, Johnny? Get it, Johnny. Who's Johnny? He's, he was like three at the time, so he, he got the characters confused uh, sometimes. <laughs> but I wonder if that's not an illustration of how we are sometimes with God. 
Well, we show up to church, and we've been in church for years, some of us. And we sing the songs, and we listen to the sermon, and get it, God! We're with you, God! We're on your side, God! But we know deep down, we're not right with God. We know deep down, we don't know God like we should. We know deep down, whether anyone else knows it or not, Something isn't right when it comes to our relationship with Him. Satisfied people don't chase after satisfaction. They chase after God, and satisfaction finds them. And guys, if you feel like you're just going through the motions right now, you feel like that you're real busy and doing a whole lot, but there's just something missing, maybe what you need to do is to pursue God like you never have before. And if that's what you need to do, this series, this sermon is for you. Because our God is the God of fresh starts. And today, you can have a fresh start with Him. Because He not only wants to give you a fresh start, He is waiting to do so. In fact, the Bible says that His mercies are new every single morning. Every single day, we can have a fresh start with our God to make sure that our relationship with Him is what it should be. Our God is not only able to give us a fresh start, He wants to give us one, and He's waiting to do so. And I don't believe there's a passage in Scripture that better illustrates that point than a parable that Jesus tells in Luke chapter 15. So if you have your Bibles or Bible app on your phone or tablet, that's what we're going to study here this morning. That's where we camped out. Luke chapter 15. And we're going to look at one of the most well-known parables of Jesus, and I just want to let you know, it is probably my favorite parable of Jesus. I love this text, and yet every time I read it, though I've read it dozens and dozens of times and studied it dozens and dozens of times, I always see something new. It always hits me in a fresh way. And so in Luke 15, verses 1 through 2, Luke gives us the context for why Jesus tells this parable. He tells about the circumstances surrounding Jesus before he tells the parable. And verse 1 of Luke 15 says this, Now, the tax collectors and the sinners, quote-unquote, were all gathering around to hear him, to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, the religious people of the day, they muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Now, stop right there. The situation that surrounds the telling of the parable of the prodigal son is pretty simple, actually. Jesus is hanging out with people who are not okay. He's hanging out with tax collectors and quote-unquote sinners. And those who think they are okay, the religious people, the Pharisees and the teachers of law, they're not okay with it. They have a problem with Jesus hanging out with those who they consider to not be okay. And you know, something that I've realized about life, the more that I've come to know Jesus, the better I know Jesus... I've come to realize that it's okay to admit you're not okay. It's okay to admit you're not okay. Because none of us are okay. And those who think they are okay, they're in serious trouble. See, Jesus is hanging out with people who are not okay because He knows He is exactly what they need. And on the heels of Jesus being criticized for hanging out with these people, he tells three parables, all recorded in Luke chapter 15, the last of which is what we call the parable of the prodigal son or the lost son. 
And so let's pick up with that final parable Jesus tells, verse 11 of Luke chapter 15. So Jesus continued, remember this is one of three parables. There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he, the father, divided his property between them. Let's pause again. Historically, we've called this a parable of the prodigal son or the lost son, singular. But when Jesus starts off this parable, he says this is a story about a father who has two sons, plural. Now, that's an important note to make. Because in this day and age, in first century Judaism, the firstborn son would have received two-thirds of a father's estate after the father died, two-thirds of the inheritance. And then the rest of the sons would have received the other one-third. So in this situation that Jesus sets up, you only have two sons. So the oldest son is going to get two-thirds of the father's estate when he dies. The younger son is going to get one-third of the inheritance. But again, they're going to receive that money when the father dies. For this younger son to come to his dad and say, Dad, I want you to liquidate all of your assets and give me my part, give me my share, that would have been the ultimate insult. It would have been equivalent to this son saying, Dad, I wish you were dead because I love your money more than I love you. I love your stuff more than I love you. I love what you can do for me more than I love you. You ever treated God like that? And as shocking as this younger son's request is, I mean, I mean, we read this and we think, how dare he? For Jesus' first century listeners, what would have been equally as shocking was the father's response to the son's request. Jesus says that the father divided the property between them and gave the younger son his part. Now, this would have been shocking to Jesus' first century listeners because a respectable Jewish man in this day would have never done that. You know what would have happened? The father would have declared that son dead to him. And he would have been shunned by the entire Jewish community they lived in. Literally, when this boy walked down the street, all of his Jewish neighbors would have turned their backs to him and acted like he didn't even exist until he repented of this offense that he had made toward his family and his father. No first century Jewish father would have said, okay, I'm going to divide up my estate and give you your part. That would have never happened. That was a shocking, shocking response. But Jesus lets us know that this father in the story, he's different. You parents in the room today, you know, there is no greater pain, there is no greater heartache than unreturned love from your kids. There's no greater pain, there's no greater heartache than love that isn't appreciated. I'll never forget at the last church I served, there was a couple who called me up one day and said they wanted to come and talk to me. Their daughter had gone off to college and had gone wild. I already knew about her story. The whole church did. She grew up in our church. was a good girl, but she went to college and went wild, and so the parents wanted to come and talk to me about it. Their daughter had started drinking, got into drugs. She was flunking out of school. She was living with a guy she wasn't married with. We had heard she was sleeping around, and... Her life was just a mess. Not only that, she had maxed out her parents' credit cards. And her parents had tried to reach out to her and help her. She wanted nothing to do with them. She had just gone wild. And I thought when her parents called me and said, Hey, Chad, we want to talk. I figured they would be angry and upset. Not at me, but just about the situation. I figured they would be just really mad and angry. And as they sat down in my office and talked with me, I didn't see any anger in their eyes. The only thing I saw was pain. 
They were hurt. And I'll never forget the mom looking at me and saying, Chad, I would do anything to get my daughter back. That's the pain that this dad in the story feels when his younger son comes to him and says, I want my share. And isn't that the pain that probably God has felt at one time or another from all of us or because of all of us? Has we have rebelled against him? We've all caused that pain at some time or another. And sometimes when I teach on this parable, people will come to me afterwards and they'll say, hey, Chad, I don't understand why the dad let his son go. I just don't get it. Because in this day and age, he could have forced the son to stay on the estate. And if the son didn't stay on the estate, that son had no legal rights. He could have had him thrown in prison. In fact, in some Jewish communities, that boy would have been stoned for doing such a thing. Why did the father let him go? He could have forced him to stay at home. Well, the answer to that is pretty simple. To force the son to stay at home would have kept the son at home while depriving the father of the son's love. Because only by wanting to be with his father, with his dad, could their father-son relationship be made meaningful. The same reason why the father let his son go is the same reason why God gave us free will. The biggest risk that God ever took was putting the tree of knowledge and good and evil in the Garden of Eden. The biggest risk that God ever took was giving us a choice to love Him. But God knew that was the only way that He could have a meaningful relationship with us. And I want you to know this about our God. God wants to have a meaningful relationship with you. He doesn't want to know you at a distance. He wants to have a meaningful relationship with you. And the only way He could have a meaningful relationship with us is, was for us to want it. Because only by wanting the Father will our relationship with Him be meaningful. And so let's read on and see what happens in this parable. Verse 13. Jesus says, Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, and he set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. You can get on this kid's Instagram account. You can follow him on Snapchat. You know how he's spending his daddy's money. He's in and out of bars. He's in and out of strip clubs. He's making weekend trips to Vegas. He's living it up, so he thinks. But eventually the money runs out. But the emptiness is still there. Verse 14. Jesus says, After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country and he began to be in need. So he went and he hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. This guy has lost everything. He's lost all of his father's money. And for a first century Jew, there was no more dirty, disgusting, unclean animal than a pig. And Jesus is showing us just how low this guy's life has gotten. He is not just hanging out with pigs. He's not just taking care of pigs. He actually believes that the pigs have it better off than him. That the pigs are living a better life than him. And if you were a first century Jew listening to Jesus tell this story for the first time, you would have been shaking your head thinking, it doesn't get much worse than that. You see, sometimes God lets us hit rock bottom so that we'll realize what we're missing. That's what's going on in this son's life. 
And then we get to verse 17, and we see this line. When he came to his senses. I love that line. In fact, it's my favorite line in the entire passage because that's the moment when this son realizes what he's missing, or should I say, who he's missing. See, you need to know something about my heart. What gets me out of bed every single morning is seeing people who have had life robbed from them come out of the spiritual concussion they've been living in. What gets me up every morning is seeing people who, because of Jesus, the light bulb comes on, the cobwebs come down, the fog lifts, and they finally realize that they were created for more than the pigsty they've been living in. I remember when that moment happened to me. I remember when I realized that I was created for more than a life of reckless sin, but I was created to be recklessly loved by my Heavenly Father. And I don't want you to miss that this morning. God created you for more than a life of reckless sin. You were created to be recklessly loved by Him. But the question is, when are you going to realize that you're living in a distant land? When are you going to realize that you're squandering the incredible, the wonderful life that God has given you? When are you going to come to your senses? And so let me ask, because I love you. I know I don't know you that well because I haven't been here that long, but I do love you. Let me ask, when are you going to set the bottle down? Oh, it may numb the emptiness, but it won't take it away. When are you going to admit that you're clinically depressed and find the help that you know you need? When are you going to realize that jumping out of one bed to another and to another will never bring you love? When are you going to realize that stuff, that popularity, it'll never satisfy you? When are you going to realize that your job, your bank statement, those things don't define your self-worth? When will you realize that religious traditions, keeping them, it's not the same as having a relationship with Jesus? When are you going to come to your senses? When will you realize you are created for more than pig slop? When will you realize you are created to be recklessly loved by your Father in heaven? Verse 17, our text continues, as the boy comes home. And Jesus says, when he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired men have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired men. So he got up and he went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For the son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. I mean, can you imagine it? Every single morning, this dad probably got up and he looked at his kitchen window and looked down the lane that led to their home and wondered, could this be the day, could this be the morning when I see my son coming back home, when I see my son coming down that lane? And so finally that day arrives and the father looks at his window and he sees his son coming down the lane, his head's down. 
And the dad doesn't wait for his son to come to the house, to come to him and beg for forgiveness. This dad takes off running towards his boy. Now you have to understand something. Respectable Jewish men in the first century world, they did not run. It was socially unacceptable for a grown man to run. Children ran, slaves ran, servants ran. Respectable, dignified, honorable men, they did not run. This dad doesn't care. He sees his son coming down the lane. He takes off after him. And when he gets to his son, his son starts to apologize. And dad, I've sinned against heaven and earth. It's like the dad doesn't even hear him. His dad says, come, put my ring on his finger. Put him in one of my best robes. In other words, call the family attorney. I'm writing my son back into my will. He's part of the family again. Put sandals on his feet. Servants go barefoot. Not my boy. You put sandals back on his feet. He's part of the family again. Kill my best animal. Let's have a party. Let's celebrate. Call everybody that you know because everyone thinks that this son of mine is dead, but I want the world to know my son is alive and I want everyone to know that he's mine and he's back home. Can you imagine the party that the dad threw? See, this story reveals something about our God. God's forgiveness it's greater than my sin. God's healing, it's greater than my hurt. God's love, it's greater than my pain. Contrary to what some people believe about God, and for that matter, what some churches teach about God, God is not against us. God is for us. And He desperately wants to have us back. No matter how far you've run, no matter how long you've been hiding, no matter how much of your life you've wasted, our God is the God of fresh starts. And He's not only able to give you a fresh start, He wants to give you one, and He's waiting to do so. I love what the Father says to His Son in verses 23 through 24. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. What a great ending to this story. If it was the ending. It's not though. That's where we like to end the story. In fact, I've heard sermons preached on this passage. We cut it off right there. That's it. But Jesus says the story isn't finished yet. There's another part. Remember what I said at the beginning of this message? This is the story of a dad, a father who has two sons. Well, now the second son comes on the scene, and we get the rest of the story. Pick up with me, if you would, verse 25. It says, Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. While he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go into the party. So his father went out. He leaves the party and he pleaded with him. But he answered his father, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders, yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home. You kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, 
You are always with me, and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. We often skip over this last part of the parable for a couple of reasons. One, we don't really like it that much. It's not a great ending to the story. It would have been a much better ending if they ended in celebration, right? But I think we also don't like the end of this story because sometimes it hits way too close to home. And yet I'm convinced that this end part of the parable is the primary reason why Jesus told the story in the first place. Remember, this parable is Jesus' response to his grumbling critics. Jesus came to provide the human race a way back to God. He knew that the entire human race was lost. And so he came to give the entire human race, everyone, a fresh start with God because that is what everyone needed. And yet there were some who thought in that day and still today that they didn't need the fresh start that God was offering. They didn't need the new life that God was offering. They didn't need for anyone to rewrite their story. Their life is pretty good as is. Interestingly, this parable of the prodigal son, like I said before, is one of three parables that Jesus tells in Luke 15. He tells a parable about a lost sheep, a lost coin, and a lost son. What's the common theme in all three of those parables? Something is lost. Jesus wants the Pharisees, the teachers of the law, the religious people to know, you're lost too. Everyone's lost without God. Everyone has a disconnect right now with their Heavenly Father. And I came so you could have a fresh start with Him. Because it's interesting, in this parable of the prodigal son, the older brother, even though he has lived on the father's estate all these years, he's never left, he's been at home with his father, what Jesus is letting us know is that this older brother, even though he's lived with the dad all these years, he doesn't share his dad's heart. Because this is what's going on. Now that the younger son has returned, and he's been restored as an heir to the family, guess what? The younger son now gets a third again of what's left. What's left was the older brother's two-thirds. And so now the younger brother is going to get a third of what should have belonged to the older brother, and the older brother is ticked about it. He's mad. And he doesn't care that his father is excited. He doesn't care that his dad is overjoyed. He doesn't care that his dad's heart isn't broken anymore. He doesn't even care that his brother's still alive. What he's basically saying is what the younger brother said earlier. Dad, I love your money more than I love you. I love your stuff more than I love what you love. This older brother has been in the dad's house all these years, and yet he doesn't share his father's heart. And doesn't this happen sometimes in church? I'll never forget preaching at a special event one time that a church was hosting. They asked me to come speak. And at the end of the service, they had a decision time and after the message that I, I preached, dozens and dozens of people came forward. There were people who rededicated their lives. There were tons of people who were baptized that night. It was an awesome night. It was an exciting night. And yet, when it was all finished, I was out in the lobby of that church building. And this older gentleman walked up to me, and I could tell he was upset. I could tell he was mad. I didn't know why. But he walked up to me doing this. He said, the service went too long tonight. I said, well, yeah, we had you know, dozens of people come forward. Of course it did. We had all those baptisms. And he said, yeah, speaking of those baptisms, 
He said, I don't like how we clap around here after somebody's baptized. That's disrespectful. We need to be more reverent. Well, I don't want to get into the theology of whether or not we should clap after a baptism. I mean, I don't think that's a salvation issue in any way. I mean, but if you read the parable of the prodigal son, the older brother comes home and he says he hears music and dancing. If there's music and dancing, I think clapping's okay. But uh, I'm not going to get into that debate, okay? By the way, also in Luke 15, it also says that when someone repents and turns to God, that there's rejoicing in heaven, the angels rejoice. So I'm not, again, I'm not going to get into the debate, but this guy was upset. And I remember thinking, I, I don't even know what I said to him that night. It's been so many years ago, but I remember thinking, God is obviously happy and excited, overjoyed about what happened here tonight. There were those who were lost who came home. And yet you're mad over stuff that eternally doesn't matter whatsoever. Sometimes we get sidetracked. And we don't share the heart of our Father. Guys, Jesus came to offer the world a fresh start. And because of that, we have reason today to celebrate. God is throwing the biggest party that He's ever thrown because of Jesus. Lives are being rewritten. Stories are being changed. The broken are being put back together. And yet, there are some people who sit back with their arms crossed and refuse to accept the fresh start that God has given them, refuse to join in the party. This parable should have ended in celebration, but it ends with the Father going outside the party and begging, pleading with His Son to come in and join it. And I think what this parable teaches me is it's okay to admit you're not okay. Because when you admit you're not okay, you're actually closer to God than those who think they are. It's okay to admit you're not okay because only when you admit you're not okay can God come in and work in your life in a way that changes you so you can have the relationship with Him that He created you to have. Guys, don't let anyone rob you. Don't let anyone rob this church of the joy that Jesus came to give us by allowing us to have a fresh start every single day with our God. When I was a student at Johnson Bible College, there were some guys who liked to prank people in the middle of the night. College students do that sort of thing. And um, they would break into someone's dorm room in the middle of the night, and they would bring in a strobe light and music. And so people would be, you know, dead asleep. And all of a sudden, they'd turn on this strobe light and turn on music. And it would scare them. People would jump up, scream, all sorts of things. It's kind of funny. I was never part of that group, but I heard about it, okay? And so, uh, and the stories I heard were just hilarious. Uh, but they started to videotape it at the end, started to film it. Because it was so funny, they wanted to share it with people. And they just had this one rule. No matter what happened, no matter how the people react, no matter what they did when they woke up, one rule, don't stop dancing. No matter what, keep on dancing. And so they went into this one guy's room in the middle of the night. He was a, a football player in high school, big old muscular guy. And so these five or six guys, they sneak in, and they turn on the strobe light, and they play this loud music, and everybody in the room just starts dancing like they did every time. And this guy who is asleep, he is just startled. He jumps up, and he grabs the nearest person to him, which was this little guy named John. He grabbed this little guy named John and just started punching him just over and over again, hitting him. He was just, you know, he woke up, didn't know what he was doing, and just starts hitting this guy over and over again. And I was told, I never saw the video, but I was told that in the video they had of this, I think they got rid of it in case they got in trouble, but in the video they had of this, as this big old football player is just hitting little John over and over and over again, you know what John was doing? <laughs> the entire time, 
as he took one hit after another. Guys, in this world, we're going to take some hits because of Jesus. Satan's going to try to get us down. The world's going to try to discourage us. People are going to try to depress us. We're going to take some hits. But because of what Jesus came to do, because he's given us a fresh start with the God who created us, no matter what happens to us in this life, we have reason to celebrate. We have reason for joy. And guys, I know this church has been through a whole lot over the past year and before. But no matter what Satan has done to us and no matter what he does to us in the future because he's going to continue to attack, we as a church have reason to celebrate. Because our God... Our God is the God of fresh starts. And we live in a community that needs to know that. Let's take our God to the 918. And let's show the world that no matter what they've done, where they've been, our God can give them a fresh start just like He's given us that. Satisfied people, they don't chase after satisfaction. They chase after God. And satisfaction finds them. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for allowing us to come home, for allowing us to be reunited with you, for loving us even when we haven't loved you. Father, for giving us a fresh start. I pray this morning for a fresh start for First Church. I pray for a fresh start in the life of every person who's listening to this message today. Father, I pray for a fresh start in my life. Because your mercies are new every single morning. So Father, let us as a church celebrate because what Jesus has come to give us. In his name, Christ Jesus, I pray. Amen.